0: Ladies and gentlemen, as we head into the weekend, you'll be hearing this show next week. We are speaking with Ali Reza Nader, an Iran scholar based in Washington, D.C., who has an impressive CV, spent time at FTD, RAND, Center for Naval Analysis, Treasury, then worked for and advised senior U.S. policymakers on important issues that we're going to chat about today, uh, especially as it relates to the October 7th attacks by Hamas in Israel and some other policy points that I think you will find very timely. Ali Reza, how are you doing? Good. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thanks for joining us. How are things in your neck of the woods today? I'm in Florida this week, so I'm not up there in the chilly Northeast or
1: Mid Atlantic, I guess. Uh, yeah, DC is pretty quiet. I think it's just the holidays, and it's pretty chilly, actually. Um, but it's not too cold. It's not too that,
0: bad. That's good. That's good. Well, let's just dive right into all this. We've, um, we've been bombarded the last few weeks about things happening in the Middle East. A lot of things are happening in the Middle East. In fact, right before October 7th, we were all talking about uh, this uh, Iranian cell that was making its way in Washington, D.C., and I thought that would be the focus of the end-of-year oversight. Uh, The the Iran deal that released uh, several Americans, but also several U.S. nationals were left behind. And I thought it would be, again, that type of discussion by Congress. Also, maybe the usual stuff you hear at the end of the year about the JCPOA. Mm -hmm. But then October 7 happened, and it kind of shifted a lot, the political dynamics, at least for this year. What are your impressions? I mean, what what, uh, what things have happened or not happened since October 7th? And how does Iran, for people who maybe are not that familiar with that part of the world, how
1: does Iran factor into all of this? Well, that's a great question. And I was thinking this earlier, but the Islamic Republic in Iran has not been at the front, and front and center of the national... Discourse on October 7th it's not being really covered by uh the media Iran's role in supporting Hamas uh, is not getting a lot of attention and I think uh the regime in Iran is really key to all of this yes uh Hamas perpetrated the massacre and uh dragged Israel into a potentially A long conflict but there hasn't been that much discussion of iran and um what this uh, massacre and this war uh between israel and hamas means uh for iran and the wider middle east and specifically the iranian nuclear issue um some have written and stated that they think the Hamas war against Israel as a cover for Iran to march for to, to a nuclear weapons capability that is using this as a cover this war as a cover to achieve its aims um and with october 7th the uh really the discourse on Iran has changed dramatically Be- before we were talking about the potential collapse of the regime in Iran um a lot of the uh, world's focus was on the woman life liberty uprising against the regime and that is not really a topic of discussion of course the demonstrations in iran have died down because of the regime brutality but the world is really now focused on the israel hamas war and i think this is a big win for the regime in iran frankly um, that it has managed to divert attention away from itself, it's uh, struck a blow against its mortal enemy Israel, and I think uh, the regime has really tied uh, the Biden administration's hands on this issue because, uh, looking forward, the Biden administration has to dramatically change its policies on Iran. Uh, given October 7th in the current war. Um, otherwise, uh, I can't really see a way uh, for the United States and the rest of the world to stop an Iranian nuclear weapons capability. And I think we're slowly, and maybe not even slowly, but we're approaching uh, a potential major international crisis if the regime decides to um, move toward nuclear weapons capability even assemble actual nuclear weapons i wouldn't dismiss that possibility
0: yeah. we're speaking with ali Nader, iran scholar based in washington dc you know what is it about something you just said we'll get to all we'll get to the nuclear part of it in a second but do you think it's a conscious decision by the biden administration because the messaging from Republicans is, is a little different, but they've made a decision not to make that public linking for whatever reason, maybe yes. some of the reasons you're talking about. And do you think that's a wise move in the long term? And then also, how important culturally is it for the Iranian regime, their senior officials? Or not say culturally, I'm saying from a political standpoint, you say they benefit from this distraction is it because if it's a messaging thing people are more focused and resources are more focused on what's happening in the israel area or is it a combination of both that it gives them a back you know a step back that they can just take a breather on whatever it is they're doing here in in the u.s
1: yes from the beginning as you mentioned the biden administration wanted to uh decouple the iran issue from the israel Hamas war so in the first few days, uh, senior Biden uh, admin officials stated that they didn't have a smoking gun when it came to Iran's involvement, that uh, they hadn't seen intelligence that uh, the rulers in Iran directed Hamas. Uh, they admitted that yes, over time, mm. the regime in Iran had really built up Hamas. There's no way Hamas could carry out this attack without support from the regime in Iran. Um, And uh, Revolutionary Guards officers in Iran brag about this openly. They say that uh, they took a ragtag group of people throwing rocks at the Israelis and made them into an army. Hmm. And they're really proud that they were... uh, According to them, they humiliated uh, the greatest military in the Middle East, and one of the greatest military powers in the world, Israel. Uh, And the Biden administration, and not just the Biden administration, I suspect lots of other people didn't want that uh, truth to emerge uh, because uh, A, uh, as far as I can tell, uh, we haven't seen any major changes, but the Biden administration uh, remains committed to uh, the JCPOA or the Iran nuclear agreement. Uh, It has not abandoned what it calls diplomacy as the way to stop Iran's march toward a nuclear weapons capability. Uh, Even before October 7th, the Biden administration was releasing um, billions of dollars to the regime in Iran um, in return for, I believe, six, uh, Iranian-American hostages being held in Iran. Uh, the Biden administration um, released $6 billion to Iran through Qatar, which uh, was a very controversial issue, if you remember, in the mm-hmm. first few days of the Hamas attack. And uh, then the Biden administration came out and said that they're going to freeze the money, uh, although... <laughs> I'm told, for all intents and purposes, that money is gone. It's in Iran now. Uh, yeah, but, and, yeah mm-hmm. it,
0: it, before you keep interject on that real fast, and that's a, a, a curious messaging point that I quite couldn't figure out by folks on the other side kept saying, "Let's freeze the money." In fact, Congress recently had legislation introduced that were me- that was being messaged as saying, "Oh, this legislation is going to freeze the money, and we're going to freeze future transactions." Well. Not to get too technical, but I'm going to a little bit to help listeners kind of follow this, and then Ali Reza can uh, expand upon it a little more. When the money that the Biden administration was talking about, the $6 billion was frozen, quote, blocked by a foreign government, technically that money doesn't belong to anybody but the Iranians, and it's just being held. By that person or persons, in some cases, companies can do it. In this case, it was a, a country that was doing it, uh, and the money can't be moved. If if it were moved, then that comp- that country could have been sanctioned, or the people moving it could have been sanctioned. So, it it's uh, without getting too deep into the weeds here, the money is effectively gone by the time the hostages were released. If if we're, the public statements are accurate. Right. That, that money had had moved already and been unfrozen, meaning that no sanctions were going to be imposed if the money was unfrozen and there were no reporting requirements. left. So, so anyway, the deal got done to allow money to flow without it being frozen and, and people having to block the transactions. Right. I, I think it's a bad idea to release hostages and when it comes to Iran using that format i think it incentivizes hostage taking mm-hmm. and in fact the IRGC very senior IRGC officials have been caught on tape bragging about how hostage taking mm-hmm. is a very lucrative business and i agree it is and during the prior administration they had a different approach i believed it worked we we were part of a process that got two people out now there's some people left behind so there's two or three things that were said that i'd like you to kind of share with you know share your views about whether or not you think it's a good idea how it was done. One, this issue about sanctions, and we'll have a broader discussion about sanctions later, but sanctions and how they factor into these types of cases, should money be used as leverage in that process? And the other one has to do with how we speak about hostages in Iran. Is it a good idea to be out there publicly talking about these cases so much because isn't that what Iran wants? And in this particular case, the one that involves $6 and some people got out. And by the way, I'm glad everybody got out. But the yes. Biden administration out of their way to say, oh, everybody got out. Well, no, they didn't. In fact, two people that I represent are still there. One is in Evin prison, Shahab Dalili from Virginia. The other one is Mr. Jamshid Sharmad in California. We don't know where he is. He has been sentenced to death. But then I know of at least one other American in even prison, who has uh, uh, chosen not to go public and does not want to go public for reasons that he only knows and I will not get into. So was it constructive the way this administration messaged when the facts don't even support what they were saying? And how do you think they should handle this? Whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, do you think it's a good idea to be out there so much and giving the Iranians this media that I think they want?
1: And it's, like you said, great that the Iranian Americans came home. I think the US government, uh, it has a duty to bring uh, those Americans home from Iran. Uh, Of course, I'm in agreement with you uh, in terms of the way um, they were released um, through billions of dollars of ransom payment. And that does incentivize the regime in Iran to take more hostages. A lot of Iranian-Americans travel to Iran still, uh, Europeans uh, visit Iran for tourism, uh, not in great numbers, but enough that the regime can take more people hostage. And I think uh, uh, the the recent hostage release uh, really signaled to the regime that if it does take more hostages, it will um, be able to get lots of money for them and i think that's very very dangerous um i think the biden administration was really trying to score a political win through the uh hostage release and if you notice there was an effort by the biden administration's allies to really talk this uh deal up uh although it received a lot of criticism Um, the Biden administration, the Obama administration before it have really tried to portray the Iran nuclear deal as a very important and historic political and diplomatic achievement. And I think the Biden administration um, still follows that promise. A lot of uh, senior Biden officials like Jay Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, were intimately involved in negotiating the nuclear agreement. And I think uh, they won't let go of it, uh, both for political uh, but also personal reasons. But I think October 7th really demonstrated that you can't really negotiate your way out of problems uh, with this regime, that uh, the Islamic Republic and Iran will uh, take whatever points you give it and we'll pocket them and then come back to hurt you. I mean l- look at October 7th uh, There's no way Hamas would have carried out the massacre uh, Without at least the tacit approval uh, of its Masters in Tehran, uh, you know because they're depend Hamas is dependent on Tehran for arms and funding uh, Palestinian fighters were shipped to Iran for uh, sophisticated training right before the massacre. So when I look at uh, just, uh, the series of events in the last few weeks and months, I see October 7th as also a big uh, rebuke to the Biden administration's policy of engagement with the regime in Iran. If anything, October 7th proved uh, that you have to apply uh, pressure against this regime. Now, the Biden administration and the Obama administration before it uh, believed in carrots uh, rather than sticks uh, when it came to this regime. And you can see that in uh, their hostage diplomacy as well. They thought that uh, if we uh, offer the regime enough incentives, and it's not just the $6 billion that was released to Qatar, uh, the Biden administration has really uh, failed, we chosen not to enforce sanctions against Iran, mm. allowing the regime to reap tens of billions of dollars uh, in the last year uh, alone. Um, China is buying most of Iran's oil, and the Biden administration has done nothing to stop this. Uh, but it goes to show you, October 7th, that the Biden administration's policy of engagement will not work. You know, if if you have a negotiating partner. Uh, that turns around and then massacres your allies in the most horrific anti-Semitic incidents since the Holocaust. Uh, that means your policy is not working, and so uh, the Biden administration should really, if it wants to really uh, protect U.S. national security and security of its allies, it should really change its whole approach. Hmm. Uh, toward Iran. I have not seen that happening yet. Of course, uh, a lot has happened since October 7th. Um, and I've I've spoken to some opponents of the Biden administration's Iran policy who think that the Biden administration has no choice but to revise its policies, including on uh, hostage negotiations, uh, but I haven't really—I don't know if you have, but I haven't really seen any significant signs of a recalculation from the Biden administration.
0: Let me ask something about that. The um, Going back to October 7 for one second, would you say that in the scheme of the greater Middle East, putting aside the issue of this, what that means for Israel and— Which, interestingly, by the way, I'm seeing a lot of internal criticism percolating up from different sides of within the Knesset about certain things that happened, that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's for another show. But just broader Middle East, do you see October 7 vis a vis the Iran issue as a what type of an event would you say that is? I mean, because it's bigger than past incursions, and it's probably going to be, if not already is, one of Israel's longest wars since the creation of the state of israel uh do do you do you see it as potentially becoming an issue that american policymakers can use to leverage on the iran question or is this going to have to be dealt with just within the confines of the israel conflict with the uh, palestinians
1: you asked earlier also uh, what did uh, october 7th meant in terms of the regime's calculations and mm. we have to uh consider that the regime in iran had faced the most uh intense and popular uprising against this rule in iran in the last 44 years since the 1979 revolution and this was a very very sustained uprising it didn't get a lot of actual international support but it got a lot of rhetorical support from the international community and the world was really paying attention to what's happening in iran and now uh you have the world focus on october 7th so i think uh the israel hamas war gives the rulers of iran a reprieve uh they're not at under as intense pressure as they were before. Uh, they're still in power. They proved themselves to be pretty resilient uh, to the people of Iran more than anybody else. They showed the people of Iran, look what our proxy Hamas can do to Israel, the country that uh, wants Iran to become liberated. Uh, because it, the Israelis were probably the most uh, outspoken opponents of the regime and supporters of their uprising uh, in Iran. And the regime has really managed to strike them a, bull, a heavy blow without uh, suffering the consequences. I mean, what's what's happened to the regime in Iran since October 7th? Have uh, sanctions been enforced? No. no. Have tougher sanctions been imposed? No. The European Union has, I haven't seen them do anything as the regime in Iran since October 7th. Uh, There's barely any discussion of the regime's role um, in the Hamas massacre. Uh, And I think it's because there's still this hope that the nuclear negotiations can be revived, uh, that uh, the nuclear uh, program can be stopped from weaponizing if you're If you're a European or American policymaker and you're trying to manage this war and the u s. involvement in this war, uh, undoubtedly you're thinking, what if the regime in Iran decides to assemble actual nuclear weapons? What will we do to stop it? I highly doubt that forget Europe but the United States would take military action against Iran under the Biden administration. I just really don't see that um, happening this year, especially during a presidential election. I think the Biden administration wants to really focus on China and Russia. That has been its policy for the last several years since the signing of the JCPOA in 2015. Um, It has wanted to pretend Uh, that the Middle East is not as important to U.S. national security. Uh, Even Jake Sullivan, uh, I believe a week before October 7th, stated that the Middle East uh, had been the most peaceful it has been in two decades. So I I just don't think uh, the Biden administration uh, has a willingness, intent, or even capability to handle Iranian nuclear weapons crisis.
0: Let me ask you something about the Iran nuclear Mm -hmm. weapon uh, debate. Some some of us wonder, aloud, lately, if Iran already has what it needs to do what it must Mm -hmm. to become, quote unquote, a nuclear power, if you will. And is already projecting that power in ways that we don't know because we don't have access to all this information that supposedly u.s policymakers makers had is it possible that iran's already there that this conversation that people are having in public is just a way to delay an inevitable outcome because they are determined to be a nuclear power whether we want it or not and nobody seems to be as you're saying and many other experts have said do anything of consequences, stop them. I, for one, think sanctions have become very ineffective uh, when it comes to Iran. Mm-hmm. They, al- they almost laugh at, 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 at it, and some of them, even in cases I've worked on in hostage cases I've worked on, officials and people within Iran take it as a badge of honor to be sanctioned. In fact, by the way, today, earlier today, two Iranian intelligence officials were sanctioned by Treasury, some fellow named Majid. Uh, Rahani and Mohammed mm-hmm. um, Ardistani, I think, were sanctioned today. They're connected to the RGC and to Qasem Soleimani, supposedly. But anyhow, do, does, this, does, does Iran have it? Are they there? Is that as far as they need to go to say, hey, we're ready to move? Just keep testing us and watch what's going to happen. And are sanctions enough? Are we just going to wake up one day and find that, hey, they're not enough. They were never going to be enough, which I don't think they were. Sanctions are tools. People listen to this show know I say this a lot when they ask me about sanctions. Mm-hmm. Sanctions are tools. They're not sure. a policy. In right. Iran, and we have Congress trying to pass all these laws with sanctions on things that we already have on the books, we, and they keep repeating them just to say we're doing something. Right. But is it enough?
1: Those are really great questions. Uh There are things I think about and lots of other people think about constantly in D.C. Uh, You know, quite a few people consider Iran to be a virtual nuclear state, so they may not uh, possess actual nuclear weapons as far as we know, but they have the turnkey ability to produce nuclear weapons. Um, Some organizations think uh, Iran could produce nuclear weapons within a matter of months. Uh, there's some debate in terms of how long it would take Iran to reach that point and whether it would actually weaponize its uh, nuclear program. But even if Iran doesn't have actual nuclear weapons, uh, it is using this program as leverage. I mean, look, the Europeans are very afraid of Iran going nuclear, and they're reluctant to uh, take stronger measures like pressuring the regime if let's imagine if the uprising in Iran had happened and the regime didn't have a nuclear weapons program it is likely that the european approach toward iran could have been significantly different because the european union yes uh used to buy iranian oil it had some trade relations with iran but it's not a major commercial partner for europe i think uh the threat that the regime presents to the rest of the world is what gives it leverage. And we saw what Hamas did on October 7th. Imagine if its major backer had nuclear weapons as well right now. It's a, it's a, a nightmare scenario. Mm. And we're very close to that point. And you're right. Sanctions are a tool. I think um, they're part of a um, maximum pressure policy that the Trump administration uh, adopted uh, in the last two years um, uh, that Trump was president. Um, and I argue that unless the regime in Iran changes, that unless there's a fundamentally different political system in Iran that represents its people, uh, that regime and the nuclear program will remain huge threats to not just the West, but the really entire uh, world community. Um, It's hard to imagine what would stop the nuclear program at this point because uh, diplomacy and engagement uh, will not. I think the obama Biden administration thought they could kick uh, the can down the road. And just by engaging with the regime and uh, rewarding it, Yes, you may you may kick down the road a little, the can a little bit down the road, but it has huge consequences, uh, has negative consequences, like we see in Israel today. Mm.
0: So what do uh, you, mm-hmm. but let me ask you something. What do you say to people, as Americans, hear you, hear us talking about these issues, hear Congress people talking about these issues? Why should Americans care about what's happening so far away? And we we get email. I speak with people who listen to some of these podcasts and say, okay, Jason, I get it. Mm-hmm. We know those are serious problems, but, man, those are thousands of miles away, and we have so many problems here. What do you say to folks that wonder if all this time and energy that have been spent, and we're going to talk a little bit now, and we're talking to Ali, Ali Rezanator, Oh, in Washington, D.C.-based Iran scholar a Middle East expert uh, about a wide range of issues on Iran. But we are going to talk about the democracy movement as we head toward the end of the show inside of Iran. But what do you tell Americans that don't follow mm-hmm. this, who, who who are not beyond, don't want to follow it? And some of them are just getting tired of hearing about it sure. all, the, all the time. So <laughs> why should they care? And what, what, what do you recommend to policymakers to help better communicate What's at stake over there for U.S. national security and global
1: security? I get people are tired of it. Look, I've been uh, following the Iran nuclear issue, I feel like, forever now. Uh, Others have been doing it much longer than I have. And it seems like there's really no solution in sight. But that doesn't mean we should stop trying. Because, yes, Iran and the Middle East are thousands of miles uh, away. But uh, if... Iran does produce a nuclear weapon, nuclear weapons. If it keeps supporting terrorism, if it keeps taking Americans uh, hostage, that affects everybody in America. It's it, it's not a distant problem because Iran also touches on a lot of other uh, global issues. Uh, Iran is helping Russia and Ukraine, for example. Uh, it's... Uh, Partner with Russia, China, and North Korea, uh, three of the foremost opponents of America in the world. Uh, they're every day, they're more actively working together. Uh, yes, the US is not buying a lot of its oil from the Middle East, but the rest of the world does. Our allies uh, get a lot of their energy from Iran and other Persian Gulf countries. So what Iran does affects countries like Japan, South Korea, uh, or European allies. Uh, Iran is, the the Islamic Republic in Iran is the foremost uh, spreader of uh, anti-Semitism in the world. This is a state that uh, devotes considerable amount of resources to propagating anti-Semitism in the world, including uh, physical violence against Jews. That affects American security. Uh, all of this affects American security uh, and the well being of Americans. Uh, I, I can't imagine a, um, a worse regime developing nuclear weapons, uh, mm. to be honest with you. I mean, this is a very violent, misogynistic, uh, messianic, fascistic regime. And for it to have uh, n- nuclear weapons, would I think be a nightmare for the United States and all the countries surrounding Iran. It's not just about the United States, uh, it's about everybody else as well. Let
0: me ask you something, before we get to the democracy movement in in Iran, because I think it's a positive and something that we should end the podcast on a high note, because even though there's a lot of bad things happening with Iran, the young people uh, are really, this hope this hope that I've seen for the future that i hadn't really focused on in a long time, and I, it's a lot of things have happened, we're not going to have time to cover all of it but we're going to get to that in a second, but before we get to that, you uh, recently, and this impacts us right here, folks, uh, a few before this um, October seventh, we talked at the beginning of the show about how things in Washington we thought were going to end in a pretty dull way, even though we had these stories about an Iranian influence operation with senior Biden administration officials, including uh certain folks that we'll talk about right now. Uh that whatever happened to that, what's happening with that investigation of the former Iran envoy Rob Mali, uh, which you recently were saying correctly, you know, what why are places like Princeton and others hiring folks like this Why is that important? Why We shouldn't lose sight of that, but I think we have lost sight of that. And what, briefly, what do these groups do, which may be right on the edge of legal, in some cases, though, based on what I've read, some of this, what they were doing, I think, warrant investigations by the Department of Justice, but also by Congress. What were these people doing? Because I personally am concerned about it, because I have a friend of mine, Shi Wei Wong, who was our client, we helped get him out of iran. Mm-hmm. He, was mm-hmm. he was from princeton he was in princeton, and I know sure. Shui has a, uh, a, a very strong views about these folks at Princeton. What happened there and what 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 does Congress or the Department of Justice need to do about it
1: uh so what you're referring to has been detailed uh by two uh, media publications Semaphore and iran international um both of which published uh, very detailed reports about an Iranian influence operation that has been going on for years. It's called the Iran Experts Initiative. And uh, the regime in Iran uh, set up this group of uh, Iran experts based in America and Europe to basically advocate for the nuclear agreement. This has been going on for uh, several years. And uh, w- one of the members of the Iran Experts Initiative, uh, her name is Ariane Uh She served in the State Department as an advisor to Robert Malley, the U.S. envoy for Iran, who's also under FBI investigation. And she uh, currently, uh, Ms. Tab- Tabatabayi is uh, working at the Pentagon in a very sensitive position, uh combating ISIS. She's still other- there? Yeah, she's still there. Uh, mm. as far as I've seen, she hasn't been um she's still in her position. Uh and she was in contact uh with Iranian diplomats based in Iran mm. and received guidance from them, uh, including by a gentleman at the Foreign Ministry uh, who's a Revolutionary Guards officer. Uh, she uh, received instructions from them in terms of what to write, uh, how to brief Congress even. And she's wow. uh, one of several people who are part of this Iran Experts Initiative. And this group was uh, uh, close to Robert Malley, uh, the former U.S. envoy for Iran. Uh, who is no longer at the State Department. Uh, He's under FBI investigation. The reasons for the investigations uh, have not been publicized, but uh, I'm told by many people that doesn't look good. Um, And I think to me that this shows uh, how seriously the U.S. government has Ignored the reality of Iranian influence operations in the U.S. Uh, You know, traditionally, the U.S. national security community is focused on Chinese or Russian influence, but Iran has also uh, managed to gain a lot of influence in the U.S. political process and academia. Uh, You mentioned Princeton, Princeton has a notoriously uh, pro-regime program on Iran. Um, the publication tablet has written a lot about this. So I encourage your listeners to go read what uh, Princeton has been doing on the issue of Iran. And Robert Malley, when he was essentially let go of his job at the State Department, although the Biden administration won't characterize it as such, but I highly doubt he's going to return to that position. Right. Is it possible? Uh, he got Got a job you, at Princeton.
0: Mm-hmm. Let me ask thing about that. And uh, sorry to interrupt you, but I'm going to forget to ask you this: uh, th- Is it possible that that fellow was involved or may have meddled in the negotiations to secure the release of hostages?
1: Robert Malley. Yes. Uh, yes, very possible. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's the number one person when it comes to uh, Iran policy in the Biden administration, or he used to be. Uh, he was the point man when he came to Iran. And um, after leaving the State Department, we being kicked out of the State Department. Uh, he got a job at Yale and Princeton. And you know, there's a lot of discussion today about uh, elite academia's reaction to the massacre of the Israelis, how uh, so-called woke culture has turned these uh, academic institutions uh into bastions of anti-semitism for example but uh it it doesn't surprise me personally to see what's been happening because if you look at princeton or yale or harvard if you look at their iran middle east programs they do certainly have an ideological bent and uh princeton's i think is just pro-regime has a pro-regime program they invite uh pro-regime people to speak there So uh, this is a bit uh, wider part of the problem. And uh, it's interesting that with October 7th, the the issue of uh, Iran influence operations uh, for now isn't taking a a lot of attention, but I think this is gonna come back and become a major issue because uh, for such a high ranking figure, as Robert Malley to be investigated by the FBI uh, without a clear explanation as to what happened, I think, is a major problem uh, for the American public. I think the American public deserves to know uh, why this individual was under investigation, uh, why he received jobs at Princeton and Yale, although he's under FBI investigation, uh, why he uh, wasn't being advised by this Iran experts initiative uh, that you could argue was being managed by the regime in Iran. Um, And I think any US administration, whether it's uh, a democratic or Republican administration needs to look at Iranian influence operations in the US. This is not a partisan issue. Uh, This is an enemy state that wants to harm Americans and develop nuclear weapons that's taking Americans hostage so we have to really get to the bottom of, how much does this uh, regime have influence in the US? Uh, what institutions has it penetrated? Why are there people taking instructions from the regime working at the Pentagon? Um, and I believe that we're gonna see more of this issue, especially if some uh, uh, facets of um, the investigation uh, into Rob Malley become more public.
0: I need to remind folks, too, by the way, that this week in Miami, a former State Department diplomat was arrested, mm-hmm. and he was hauled into court. He was, he was arrested last week, and he was hauled into court this week for spying for Cuba for, some people believe, all the way back as far as 1981. And wow. uh, it was numbing to think that somebody could have reached the highest levels of U.S. The quarters of power including the security council during i think it was the obama administration uh they, then he was an ambassador i think to bolivia and then he spent a lot of time in his retirement leveraging all those contacts to do things that he uh, obviously should not have been doing they caught him on tape by the way so it's not mm. f- too far-fetched what ali is talking about uh, we're going to provide some program links to those uh articles that he's talking about they are excellent and i think people need to read them so when they ask questions like why should we care folks this is one clear example why you should care and uh, and putting people inside of our government or allegedly putting people inside our government or abusing our very lax nonprofit laws and lobbying laws to do certain things that people should Mm -hmm. not be doing uh it's important and wait till you read about it there are americans who i believe um, are hostages and unlawfully detained peoples who should be concerned because uh, we'll have another show on it. We'll have Ali Reza come back and talk about that. And before we talk about democracy movement, r- one quick uh, comment from you, if you could, a few weeks ago, because this gets to the hostage issue again, and it involves Iran. Uh, the, the Biden administration has tasked um, Roger Carson, the Special Presidential Envoy for Hostage Affairs, to work on creating a NATO Article 5 effort, uh, collective defense approach to uh, hostages. So basically, we'll skip over all the details, but when a person is taken from a member state, that the member states work to, together to get them out of the country. And apparently, Canada, country you have a lot of experience with, in fact, you've testified in Canadian courts on on victim terrorism iran terrorism victim cases mm-hmm. has been uh probably will has stepped up to potentially uh be part of that and lead uh some of these negotiations and this new structure that's still being put together yeah. i think there's going to be a formal announcement coming up in a little bit of time we have left and then we'll talk about the opposite uh democracy movement what are your thoughts about that is is it a good idea is it something that iran will take seriously will it help us secure the release of people in Iranian custody and will it stop iran i believe we got to stop we need some type of a zero stop with iran and hostages where we get everybody out and then have a menu of things that if you touch another american again certain things are going to happen to you if not we're, gonna, we're never going to stop but sure. what do you what do you think about that approach you think it's a good idea and if not what do you think they should be doing
1: it's an interesting idea i've uh, been working closely on canada iran Uh, issues for the last few years, I I worked on a project looking at the Islamic Republic's influence operations in Canada, because Canada is a huge base uh, for the regime. Uh, There are tons of regime, active regime officials and retired regime officials living in Canada. It's a top destination for Mm -hmm. uh, Iranian money laundering. And the Trudeau government in Canada has been heavily criticized uh, for its approach toward Iran, especially uh, by family members of the 752 Association, um, the mm-hmm. Ukrainian Flight 752 that was shot down by the regime in Iran. Uh, the f- victims' families have been critical of the Trudeau government for not uh, listing the Revolutionary Guards as a terrorist organization, uh, for not expelling regime officials for not investigating uh, money laundering. Uh, There's been some reporting recently that uh, Canada's taking these issues more seriously recently, that they're working to expel some of the regime officials from Canada. Uh, But um, in my opinion, I don't think the Trudeau government has a very good track record when it comes to Iran. So uh, if you ask me, it depends who who will be uh, working on these issues in Canada, uh, which officials um, what have they done regarding Iran in the past? What are their views toward the Islamic Republic? And if you have officials that just believe uh, in the Obama-Biden policy of engage- engagement, and some people would call it appeasement, hmm. uh, then to me that's not going to work with this regime. Uh, you know, it's like arguing that uh, only diplomacy and uh, engagement will solve the issues with Hamas and Hamas and the Islamic Republic are essentially uh the same organization or very similar organizations. You know, one might be Sunni, one might be Shia, but uh, when it comes to hostage taking, when it comes to use of violence, um they have very similar, if not exactly belief systems. So, so uh,
0: it, it depends, depends it. it depends
1: on the Canadian officials and their worldview.
0: So, so, do you think the Iranian officials in charge of Iran right now do they respect weak or do they respect strong?
1: uh they only I think respond to pressure and strength because this is a regime that was on the brink, you could argue of collapse or overthrow uh, when the Massa Amini protest started, and that was the most serious challenge to the regime uh mm-hmm. Since 1979, and there have been actually seven major uprisings in Iran in the last seven years. So the regime in Iran knows that uh, the Iranian public hates it. uh, The outside world, most of the outside world, hates it. um, Mm. But they're committed to their ideology. They do really hate Jews. It's not just a geopolitical calculation to have Hamas attack Israel. There's there's deep hatred. emanating from that regime. And when you have that sort of a regime, uh, diplomacy will not take you very far. They respond to strength and pressure. That doesn't mean uh, the United States uh, launches an all out war against Iran tomorrow, but there's so many things the US government, the Biden administration uh, can do and could have done, but it chose not to do. And I think we see the results of it today.
0: So now we're talking to Ali Razi Nader toward the tail end of our talk. Perfect segue there. You mentioned those seven major uprisings. Explain to folks who don't follow Iran why the democracy movement, why there's some hope there, why we should find ways to help those people within the context of what you just said, that this regime does not respond to necessarily always to diplomacy, but that this support for those movements should be part of the basket of things that we do to help the Iranian people charter tomorrow because I think that's mm-hmm. that's what the there is some good news there and that I think this yes. is part of
1: it. Yeah. I, I, I think we should be really hopeful about the long term prospects of change in Iran. Because the people of Iran do not want this regime. They made it very clear. They've been going out into the streets, uh calling for its overthrow consistently. Especially since two thousand seventeen, uh, the people in Iran do not believe that this regime can be reformed. Uh, they don't think it will change its behavior. Uh, they see it for what it is. They know better than anybody else what this regime stands for. Uh, and the Massa Amini or Woman Life Freedom Uprising, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Really displayed that to the entire world that uh, the people of Iran, especially young people, don 't want this regime and they're willing to risk their lives to get rid of it. I think if if you look beneath the surface in Iran, past this regime, you see a society that's very secular, uh, that's pretty open minded and tolerant, uh, even when it comes to Israel, um, there's significantly more pro-israel sentiment in iran than probably anywhere else in the middle east i would argue Um, and the people of iran want freedom and i Mm. think it's that desire that will ultimately provide a solution to the nuclear crisis Uh, even let's say if the regime falls tomorrow and there's a new government in iran if that new government um, is even a little more amenable to representing the wishes of its people i think uh, that could provide a solution to the nuclear crisis because the people of Iran don't want to be isolated globally. Uh, they don't want to be ostracized. They want their country to rejoin the rest of the world. They want uh, their passports uh, to be respected again. You know, Iranians just see the Islamic Republic passport as a complete and utter waste, and they think of the time before the revolution uh, when the Iranian passport was, was respected, and that's what the people of Iran want. And ultimately, the international community has a very important role to play. I think there's this myth that if the United States or Europe aided the people of Iran, that would somehow delegitimize the democracy movement in Iran. And uh, nothing can be further from the truth. Uh, if if you look at uh, successful democratic uprisings and movements, Uh, many of them have received foreign support in order to be successful. And uh, the same goes for Iran. Uh, The United States and Europe uh, can't follow a policy of appeasement toward the regime and expect uh, some sort of dramatic change in Iran. You can't say you're for women's freedom in Iran, but yet you're going to continue releasing billions of dollars to the regime and then claim that those billions of dollars are for uh, medicine and food for a regime that slaughtered its own people. Mm. So they a very contrad- contradictory goals. I think the U.S. has ultimately has to settle for a policy of supporting the people of Iran. And that doesn't mean direct intervention in Iran. It just means not engaging with the regime, not helping the regime. This is what the United States is doing right now. It is through its policies, whether intentionally or not, it is strengthening the regime in Iran. The $6 billion that went through Qatar to the regime hmm. helps the regime, uh, especially uh, in its moment of crisis. And un- unless the U.S. Um, makes a decision to ally itself with the people of Iran, uh, the nuclear crisis, the crisis with the regime we've faced since 1979, is not going to go away. Indeed.
0: Well, we've been talking to Ali Reza Nader, Iran scholar, Middle East expert uh, based in Washington, D.C. Ali Reza, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. For your me. time. It, uh, we could keep going, but I am constrained. Sure. I'm, I'm told we keep it sure. to an hour, 45 minutes. I'm a little over, but that's okay. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, we hope to have you back, and uh, hope you have a great holiday season. Thank and, you. Uh, again, the door is always open. Thank you very much for joining us today.
1: Thank you. It's been great talking to you.